This is Bless You Boys Podcast 115, recorded Friday the 13th, June 13th, 2014. The Tory Hunter Problem. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. We're the editorial staff of BlessYouBoys.com, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. Covers the past week of Detroit Tigers baseball, plus whatever else might be on our mind. Uh, again, it's been kind of a mediocre week at best of Detroit baseball. And there's been a losing streak. There's actually a two-game winning streak in there somewhere. But regardless of all that, we have lots to talk about and about an hour to cover it. So with that, let's get the introductions out of the way. First off is uh, the king of the west side of michigan he's um also runs a team called the red sox i believe their season is over and that would be hook slide how's things it's over man it's over bro how'd you guys do end up what, what's the record you know uh the, the record was six and four and one tie so you know we won more games than we lost so i call that a winning season yeah. uh, we did we did get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, but that wasn't really a, a big surprise. So don't tell the kids, but I'm actually kind of glad that it's all over and done with after, you know, six to eight weeks of nonstop, two or three games a week, you know, yeah. where practice is all the time. It's it's nice to be uh, done with it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's you know, considering the season's over in you know, June, well, you know, hey. <laughs> but I know, you know, family's got things to do and they got vacations to take. So let's wrap up a little league early. Plus, like you said, well, yeah, uh, as are like all-star games and travel teams, right. and stuff like that. The, the, apparently, there's like a nationwide, you know, league set of rules or whatever that they have to start tournaments by a certain point in time. So that's why they have to wrap up by a certain point. So yeah, and all stars come up in July. So short season, but I'm completely okay with it. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. And also joining us is. Um, We've managed to get him um, uh, stall his nap a little bit before he has to uh, run the mothership, and that would be uh, the co-managing editor of Bless You Boys. He's also a columnist for the Detroit News, and uh, he's a curmudgeon all the time, and that would be Kurt Menching. How's things? You know, uh, trying to think of something that sounded curmudgeonly. Well, that sounds kind of curmudgeonly, actually. Okay, good, good, uh, good. Then I, then I hit my... <laughs> All right, so let's. Uh... <laughs> this is what happens when I don't come on the podcast for a month. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> All right, first off, let's get a few things knocked out uh, about the podcast. You want to contact us? BYBpodcast at gmail.com, BYBtigers at gmail.com. We're on the Twitter at Bless You Boys, and of course, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash BYB.tigers, or as I always just take. Just search Bless You Boys on Facebook and like our page, and uh, you'll find some interesting stuff there. All right, guys. Since we last spoke, well, the Tigers went 3-3, three and three. Uh, even though it sounds worse than it was because there was a three-game losing streak in the middle of all that, but which was uh, snapped last night. We're recording this on Friday afternoon, um, the 13th. Oh, God, yeah, right. Friday the 13th. Oh, my God. We are, we are in trouble. Uh but Max Scherzer had his first ever complete game shutout, well, complete game period, and it was a complete game shutout Thursday night. But things are still, uh, I, I guess the term B would be, well, things are not looking up quite yet because the Tigers have only won two consecutive games twice. That's, that's their longest winning streak in almost a month, and they have not won a single series since their winning streak was stopped about a month ago, and that was when they had that six-game uh uh, when they swept the Orioles and Red Sox. The Tigers have not won a series since then. Oh, Kurt, you haven't been on a podcast that much as of late, so... So what? now we, we now we now they're going to start winning because I'm I'm podcasting today. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, a 3-3 three three week, I guess we really can't complain too much because after looking at some of the previous weeks, but this still looks like a team that is out of sync. 
We can definitely complain. When, yeah, since so when is five hundred? <laughs> since when is five hundred acceptable for this? Well, when we had weeks where they were like one and six. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. That's all I can say is well and yeah because mm. yeah. Well. <laughs> oh, that team. It's, uh, it's it's so hard to watch. You, when the starting pitcher is good, you assume the bullpen's going to screw it up, or the lineup isn't going to score, or the lineup is good and the starting pitcher is awful, or the starting pitcher is good for a couple of innings and that manager leaves them in one inning too long, or you you name it. You just draw out of a hat, which is which is your nightmare for the kick it out of the hat. Reliever screws up. Closer blows it. Yeah, he, starting he, pitcher <laughs> sucks. You do sound like a man needs a nap. I'll say that right there. I do need a nap. I always need a nap. And damn it, a Snickers bar would help, too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I work in consulting, and we have this uh, triangle that I show to my clients. And there's labels at each of the three points in the triangle that talk about, you know, the quality of the product, the price of the product, and the speed at which we can deliver the product. And we kind of always say you can pick two, you know. Uh, but but one's going to have to fall. You can't have all three at once. And I kind of feel like the Tigers are in that same spot with, you know, the three points are labeled, you know, bullpen, starting rotation, and offense. Like, you can pick two, but one of them's going to one of them's gonna not be there for you. Uh, they and, may not be able to pick one at this point. Yeah, well, a lot of times Until it's just night. one. Right. Well, no, last night they didn't go to the bullpen, so we eliminated that problem. Problem solved. All right. Yeah. All we need is the, the starting pitching to, to actually pitch like they're supposed to and go nine innings and we're set. You know, and throw shutouts at that. <laughs> nine inning shutouts. <laughs> yeah, nine inning shutouts. The Tigers are going to win. Well, <laughs> uh, this slump uh, has been going on for it's almost a month because the, the, their road winning streak where they where they topped out I believe 15 games over 500 was May 13th. We're now. Uh, and actually May 16th. We're now at May 13th. So we're almost a, a month of this funk. Uh, your compatriot at the Detroit News, Kurt, uh, Lynn Henning, wrote a, wrote a column saying that maybe the Tigers, this is who they are. They are a heavily flawed team, and those flaws have started to uh, overwhelm the, the elite parts of this team, and the elite parts of this team are essentially the starting pitching, Miguel Cabrera and Victor Martinez. So, uh, is this well? Let me ask you, Kurt. Is this is the Tigers playing closer to their true level uh, than uh, we thought going into the season? Because we had, we all picked this team to win the division and possibly it'd probably make the World Series. But after seeing this team play for two months, they don't. Look, I think some of the things we thought were going to pan out at the start of the season actually look like they're not going to happen at all. Well, it's like we've always said, they're never as good as they look when they're winning, and they're mm. never as bad as they look when they're losing. And if you look at them when they're losing and you see problems everywhere, that's why they're losing. And when you look at them when they're winning and they look like they're perfect everywhere, that's why they're winning. So, mm. I mean, it's obvious this team isn't as bad as it is, is playing. Uh, it's it's ridiculous to think, oh, yeah, this is just who they are. They're full. Of, you know why they're losing? Because... You're, you're starting pitching, which everyone would agree should be the best in baseball, has not been the best in baseball. I mean, it, it's, that, it's that simple, to, to be honest with you. If the starting pitching had been doing day in and day out exactly as it should be doing, they, they wouldn't have weeks where they go one and six. It, it, it's, it's just that simple. Yeah, the, the bullpen, we didn't think it was going to be great. And, hey, Whenever you say something about the bullpen, it does exactly the opposite for a mm-hmm. week or two. You say it sucks, it's good. You say it's good, it sucks. I mean, you know what it is? It's a bullpen. You know how many teams have the same bullpen? Like 29. So it's just that's baseball. Uh, it, 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 it's, I, think it's, I think it's ridiculous to believe this is an awful team just because they've been losing. It, they're not. They're gonna, they could bounce back, click back, and play like 620 ball for the rest of the season out of nowhere. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. And maybe they won't. You know, maybe they're, maybe they're a 600 team. That's fine. That's who we thought they were, and that's probably who they're going to be for the rest of the year. At some point, it's going to end, and that's who they are. Well, uh, let me ask you this hook slide. It's, uh, as Kurt has mentioned, it's all about the starting pitching. Well, the question is, what happened to Justin Verlander then? Uh, he, he he did struggle for good parts of 2013, but his numbers were never remotely as bad as they are this season right now. He's got a 4.61 ERA. His WHIP is 1.5. His K per nine is the lowest it's been since his rookie season at 6.6. All the peripherals 
are trending in a uh, in the wrong direction. Uh, Verlander insists he feels good and his mechanical issues are sorted, but results aren't there. And if Verlander can't get himself straightened out, that's that really throws a kink into the starting that that, that meme that the Tigers have elite starting pitching because he's your number one or number two guy. Uh, maybe. I mean, because Max Scherzer isn't exactly chopped liver, and mm-hmm. you know, Anibal Sanchez is not either. So, uh, you know, I think you can survive with Verlander not being his 2011 self. Um, I wonder, too, how much of this is, you know, just what he's been saying about tinkering, you know, mm-hmm. trying trying to find a different groove or whatever it is. And you kind of wonder, you know, is that what he's doing for the first half? Is, you know, just sort of experimenting and being okay with, you know, some bad results? Honestly, the last game uh, mm-hmm. that he pitched... I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, at least for five innings. That's six. Well, that we can get into the, what Brad Osmus did in that game, but I agree with you. That's right, right. I mean, I thought his his fastball was moving really well, and he, he was missing a couple of spots with mm-hmm. the with the curveball or the changeup. But uh, it, it looked to me like he was getting a lot of guys into two strike counts, and then trying to throw that waste pitch, you know, to get them uh, chasing, you know, to, for the out. And they just weren't. They were being very, very patient. They were working him for a lot of pitches, mm-hmm. and so I don't know what you do with that. I mean, it's not like he was terrible that night like you said through five innings he only gave up the one run so i i think he's going to be okay and he's shown in the past that when it comes down to the you know those those big playoff games mm-hmm. like against oakland he can really dial it in quit dinking around with his mechanics and just throw yeah I, I, but i do uh i think it's pretty obvious though the, the 2011 2012 version of justin Verlander is probably no more but that's hard to expect anybody to live up to those two or three years where he was as good as he was because, you know, he's aging, he's getting older, he's lost a little bit of velocity in the fastball, even though at, he's starting to bring that back. It's in 96, 97 again. But, uh, Kurt, when is the time to start worrying about Justin Verlander? Or should we – is this one of those things we're just going to have to ride it out and make a determination, you know, end of the year? Because right, there's a lot of people right now who are already – Writing off that contract as uh, essentially uh, an anchor. Well, for one, I think we're going to see Justin. You know, we we really have to look at Rob Jackie's article, mm-hmm. and, and and we have to we have to pull that out and talk about it because what he said is, uh, look, Verlander is not the same after pitch, you know, seventy five or a hundred or whatever, and this is probably due to the fact that he had off season core surgery. Mm-hmm. Right? And he, he he came back a little too soon, a little too fast. Maybe didn't rest and recovered enough. And and we're seeing we're we're seeing that endurance isn't quite where where it should be. And 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 hopefully, you know, hopefully through training, through rest, through through everything, you, you get a Verlander who who looks more like himself. Uh, and and beyond that, uh, challenge people to look at who they think are some great starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. What they'll find is sometimes even great starting pitchers have a season, maybe two seasons that that, that don't look elite level. And it's it's just it's baseball. Sometimes you know, sometimes it's your mechanics. Sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way for all season long. Whatever you, you find, you, you know, you find guys like their ERA, ERA is like two point five, two point five, three point eight, two point four. You know, it it moves around. You have those seasons, and I, I and. I think Verlander probably is mostly suffering from the injury, and probably that probably contributed last year as well as this year. And mm-hmm. we're going to see him bounce back. Yeah, I don't think we can count on you know that MVP level year. That was you know that was a career year, but I, mm-hmm. this is not Verlander either. So he's yeah. going to get better. Yeah, so and even, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So even Max Scherzer isn't you know performing to his career year that he had last year. Mm-hmm. Like Kurt's saying, that that just happens. You can't realistically expect the guy to go out there and be the Cy Young MVP every single year. He's still one of the best in the game. Yeah, and uh, I guess one other thing to bring up is also if you look historically at pitchers who are at Verlander's level and then continue to pitch well into their 30s, they almost every single one of them when they hit that 30 31 year um, of age. They had a year or two where they kind of struggled to figure out, you know, their body's changing, their arsenal is changing, their their velocity is changing, and they have to kind of adjust for that. And sometimes it takes a, a year or two to figure that out. And, uh, I mean, just look at guys, you know, look at Roy Oswald, look at uh, John Smoltz, look at a lot of pitchers like that. Who uh, Roger Clemens is another example. Look at a, they hit about 30 years old, 
and then they they really leveled off. They had a couple of mediocre season or two, and then they figured things out and pitched very well for the remainder of their careers. So uh, it's it's hard to watch Verlander struggle right now, but I don't think uh, it's going to continue for the remainder of the season. And anybody who thinks this contract is going to be an albatross is still way too early to make that determination. So, Well, guys, am I just misremembering this or what? Because mm-hmm. it seems to me that he struggled a lot more last year, but I'm hearing a lot more complaining about it this year. But, like, I seems like this year he started out pretty hot. Mm-hmm. That's it's the for, difference. That's the difference. Right. So I'm, I'm not sure. It seems, again, I could be misremembering, but I thought last year he started out struggling and just continued to struggle well into, you know, August. And, and yet, like, again, I say, like, I, people are complaining a lot more and more loudly this year. That doesn't make sense to me. Oh, I brought up his stats, and his ERA last year never got higher than 3.71. And it's already almost a point higher than that this year. So that, that's the odd part. That you know, it feels like he had an off year last year. But when you look at his numbers, look at the peripherals, he was good, not great, but he was good. And but people complained that he wasn't awesome, and that and that's the difference. But now he's gone from good to mediocre, at least over this past month, and that's the difference. And with that, why don't we move on? <laughs> All right, since this kind of came up in that discussion, let's talk about Brad Ausmus and how he's handled things, how he's handled his pitching staff, and some of the strategy that he has employed that is, well, he's starting to catch a little bit of heat. Uh, There's obviously the extended losing streak is causing uh, people to kind of give him some sideways glances as to how he's handling things. And, of course, there was the incidents with Scherzer and Verlander, allowing them both to remain in games when it appeared the better, wiser move would have been to remove the pitchers. The result in Serger's case was a big inning by the Red Sox. Um, they, he left them in to face David Ortiz. David Ortiz drives in two runs and breaks the game wide open. He does the same with Justin Verlander. Uh, and Verlander walks a batter and he gives up a two-run single, breaking open a, a game with the White Sox. Both games ended up as losses. And I, as always, I'm so anti-bunt. Don't get me going on the sacrifice bunt in the fifth inning on Wednesday. That was absolutely ridiculous and dumb. Uh, Kurt, so what's your take right now on Osmus? Uh, there was some people thinking that he allowed, he was a, a Scherzer and Verlander bullied him or kind of ran over him demanding to stay in the game. Do you think there's anything to that? Well, you know, you're looking at a couple of Cy Young Award winners, uh, and you're looking at a, a guy who was a catcher for 19 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's going to trust the guys on the field. I, I think, I, I think maybe he'll he'll start to feel a little differently, but he's going to still come from that player's perspective. And you know, you're, you're talking to pitchers who have had a huge amount of success, and you're, you're you're letting the guys on the field decide things. And he might he might get to the point where he goes, you know, may, maybe I know a little better than they do. But right mm-hmm. right now, he might be saying, "I was just a player. I know where they're coming from. I want to see how this turns out." And I'm going to trust my I'm going to trust my aces. So I, in retrospect, I mean, yeah, Verlander, it, it would be nice if someone would forward us uh, our, our our article pointing mm-hmm. out pointing out how he he drops off after a certain pitch count and maybe you know may, maybe a quicker uh, a quicker rope on Verlander would be a good thing. But uh, Scherzer, yeah, I, I I had nothing against leaving him in. Uh, what's your take on this, Oxlade? Do you think? Uh... Uh, yeah. Brad Osmus gave them a little too much rope, or it was an appropriate move? Um, well, in the case of Scherzer, let me just correct what you'd said earlier, because mm-hmm. the Tigers actually won that game. They did win that game, all right. And, and they were ahead 7-3 to three when uh, when Scherzer got into a little bit of trouble. He gave up a one-run double mm-hmm. to Ortiz, so it wasn't you know like he completely blew things up or anything like that. You know, He just obviously was, was missing his spots, and it was getting kind of smacked around a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I'm with Curtin saying it, when you're dealing with guys like Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander and they're telling you, you know, no, I can, I feel fine. I've got gas in the tank. Leave me in. I don't, you know, it's probably smarter to, to, um, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. These guys are not, you know, first, second year rookies who don't understand, you know, their own mm-hmm. body mechanics or, or whatever. Um, in the case of Justin Verlander, maybe a little more uh, sketchy of a call because he had just given up three straight base hits and loaded the bases. So, I mean, he, he was, obviously laboring and had been throughout, you know, throughout that game. So maybe in that case, he could say, yeah, he mm-hmm. should have overruled him 
you know. But again, it's it's Justin Verlander. If he says I can do this, it's really you got to have a better than fifty percent chance of, mm-hmm. of, of winning that one if you let him go. So yeah. it didn't work out. But you know, we don't gauge this by the by the results. Yeah, it's uh, well. Let me ask you this, Kurt, about Osmus. Uh, uh, what's your take on him so far? Do you think uh, uh, has he? Is, do you think he's been a disappointment? Do you think he's lived up to the preseason hype? Or, uh, is, you know, because uh, again, as always, i got to bring this up, a portion of the fan base who is expecting him to, I think, pull the Jim Leland bit from 2006 where, you know, where he uh, went nuts, you know, essentially called out the team for not not hustling, mainly in a game in. Uh that really doesn't seem like his style. So let me ask you: What, what do you think Osmus is? What, what's your? How do you grade Osmus so far? Let's put it that way. Well, for one, I mean, uh, Os- Osmus is a is a surfer, so I definitely think mm-hmm. uh, you know. I, I definitely don't think uh, a Jim Leland rant is really his mm-hmm. style. So, yeah. uh, and for two, Jim Leland came to a team uh, where where Leland was the successful one who mm-hmm. had the who had the uh, the World Series under his belt, and he came to a team with nothing. So Leland could pretty easily say, I know what it takes. I've been there. I've done that. I've been in this game for a hell of a lot longer than you guys. I've been here since before you were born. I know what it takes. And, and Osmus couldn't come up with that same thing. You know, it, it, so it, he has to play into his strengths and what works for him. And being Jim Leland isn't who, who Brad Osmus is. So mm-hmm. he couldn't, anyone who wants him to be Leland, you're mistaken. You know, that mm-hmm. it, it, it's just the way it is. But, uh, and finally, I, I would say uh, Jesus himself would have struggled to to live up to the hype of Brad Austin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my my gosh, people were, uh, yeah. So uh, I I think it. I, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm not a very good grade giver. I, I think Osmus has made probably a few mistakes. He's probably learning a little bit along the way. Maybe he maybe he leans on Gene Lamont too much, and God knows that mm-hmm. you know. Gene Lamont isn't exactly who I would have picked to manage, so if Brad is asking him for advice, that could be an issue. But yeah. uh, I, think he's, I think he's doing okay. I think we got to admit, you know, this is the team he's been given to, and, mm-hmm. and, and when you go, well, what, you know, his bullpen decisions, well, crap. Everyone has bad bullpen decisions because you have a bad bullpen. What are you going to do about it? But uh, he's doing okay. Uh, obviously, you'd like to see him be able to put an end to this losing streak, but how much – how much can he control when his friggin' starting pitchers like Verlander are giving up six runs? Yeah. Well, and to follow up on that, obviously uh, people have been also wondering well, what Jim Leland would have done differently. Would he have been able to snap this team out of this losing streak? But when you look at this, and as you brought up with the roster he's been given, I really don't see anything Jim Leland would be really doing a lot different than Brad Ausmus at this point. No. I mean, after 2006, everyone wanted a yearly rant. Like, yeah. Like, like let's have rant day where we yell at the team because it's lost a few games. Everyone wants that. Like you just push a button and get a result or something. And it, it doesn't work that way. It only could work once. And, and if they think, well, Leland would have yelled at this team. Well, I, I don't think he would have. And I think we've seen eight years of Leland and I don't think he yelled at his team, you know, mm-hmm. again, after 2006, frankly. Uh, so I, 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 I don't know that you could do anything really, really different than, than, you know, work on their mechanics, do all the things behind the scenes, and hopefully pay off. You know, once once the uh, game starts. Yeah, uh, like what's your take on Brad Osmus, the manager? Is he a uh, where do you where do you where do you grade him out as, and how do you think he's handling things so far? Because uh, and again, we do have to keep in mind all we really ever see of him are those post game. Uh, three or four minutes on Fox Sports Detroit and where he's saying, I'm not overly concerned uh, that we were trying to do this and that. And a lot of times people aren't hearing what they want to hear. But again, probably the things people want to hear are being said, but they're not being said in the public. Yeah. That, that whole, you know, bit about what he needs to give them a verbal tongue lashing, mm-hmm. you know, a la Leland in 2006, uh, t- it, that is 100% psychological projection. Yep. That that is, I'm angry at the team. Mm-hmm. If I were there, I'd be screaming my head off, and <laughs> yeah. I want somebody to do that for me. So that's what Osmus needs to do, and mm-hmm. somehow that's going to fix everything. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, that's that's horseshit, to quote Leland. Um, you know that that that's not what you do with a team like this that has you know so many good individual uh, talented players, mm-hmm. many of them veterans. 
who are not going to respond to to a tongue lashing, you know, by performing. I think that would sow some very bad seeds. Yeah. And maybe some bad clubhouse chemistry after that, and then I don't know, you, you spiral from there. The you know the fact of the matter is, like we said, the, the Tigers are just not. Um, performing at, at the level that they're capable of right now in terms of the starting pitching, and I think even in the offense, mm-hmm. is, is just not really where it could be. Um, and I know a lot of guys are going through some slumps right now. Torrey is going through a slump, and uh, Kinsler is going through a slump. But they're going to bounce back from that. So I would probably be doing the same thing Osmus is doing in terms of saying, you got to let this thing play out. you got to let the, the luck factor you know mm-hmm. even out in the end. And, you know, I, I watched the post game on, uh, was it must have been Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I noticed that I, th- I thought he was getting a little bit irritated, you know, letting a little bit of that show, I guess, because the, the question to him was something about, uh, it seems like a lot of your guys are getting hits or hitting the ball, but it's just not dropping in. They're not finding outfield grass, you know, that kind of thing. And Austin's response was, yeah, I've been saying that for three weeks, and I'm getting tired of saying it. Yeah. You know, and I, I heard two things in that statement. Number one, this is bad luck. And number two, I'm really frustrated with it, but what can you do? Yeah. Yeah, and actually that's a good point. I made note of that in the recap that night, that specific quote, because you you could hear that edge in his voice. That uh, he, I think he wanted to. He could, he could have said something a little more pointed and didn't. And that was that's probably as close as we'll ever get, Hope Slide, of seeing Brad Ausmus be upset if you ask me. At least in a post game situation. Yeah. He does strike me as far as like personality and disposition. He strikes mm-hmm. me as a very even keeled guy. Yeah. And yeah, we're kind of making fun of the the whole. You know, I'm not overly concerned, you know, because mm-hmm. he says that every game. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, I think there are some of us that are just frustrated and want to see that projected, you know, through him to live vicariously. Say, no, get concerned, you jerk. You know, yeah. your team sucks right now. So in reality, he probably has nothing to be overly concerned about. Yeah. And, and just to put it in perspective, when people refer to 2006, in 2006, Justin Verlander was a rookie. <laughs> that's that's a we're talk, that's a huge amount of time we're talking about, and a lot of the core of this team has been here almost uh, close to that long, or joined the team in the last five years or so. You're right; this is a veteran team, knows how to win, has been there, done that, and a tongue lashing is not going to solve any problem. And it's a hundred fifty million dollar budget. I mean, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, these guys are already pretty spoiled. Yeah, uh, and let me ask you this: next slide about the Jim Leland. Do you think? Uh, uh, you don't see him pushing any other different buttons that our Brad Osmus has, have you? No, no. I, in fact, I see him, if anything, uh, you know, pissing us off even more mm-hmm. with, with certain bullpen moves or you know more bunting than what we've seen. Um, the way that these two guys manage, I don't think is all that different. Right. I just I'm not seeing the huge you know. Oh wow, Brad is completely different from what Jim was doing. I just, I just don't see it. Yeah, and and one and one other thing I need to make note of: a true Jim Leland horseshit quote has to be said with your mouth full of potato salad. So keep that in mind. I know I, I swallowed too early. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, overall, you know, I, I you know, it's I, I I think you put it best, folks. Like when you said it's the fans projecting what they want to do to the team, and what we want to do to the team almost always is probably the incorrect move, at least because we're all, we're, we're, uh, we're all knee-jerk reactionary types, you know, especially immediately after a game. We're all pissed well, yeah. off. And, no, we want, and we want heads to roll, and, but if we had our choice, heads would roll 60 games a year. And, and I made the comment, I think, in one of the game threads just mm-hmm. the other week and saying, with as, as often as fans react by saying, throw a name out there, Avila, Hunter, whoever, yeah. you know, he needs to be gone. We need to bring up if fans actually ran this team, that 25-man roster would be a revolving door. Mm-hmm. We'd have a completely different team in June from July to August. Yep. <laughs> I'm really glad that we're not in charge of this because, you know, you can't afford to, to be knee-jerk reactionary like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah Kurt, do you agree with that, that we let emotion override our, our sanity far too often when it comes to uh, this baseball team? The rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Kurt. Yeah. You know you're pissed off, too. And mostly I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's too tired to get that pissed off right now. So Right. Yeah. Uh, all right, speaking of, well, some of the problems with this team, uh, we got to talk about the Tory Hunter problem. Uh, his defense has obviously been a liability. We've talked about that on this podcast before. But he still had value because his offense was, you know, he was putting up around an 800 OPS. It was pretty darn solid for 
uh, for an outfield or corner outfield. But that seems to have changed, guys. Since May 1st, Hunter is hitting 241, on-base percentage of 269, and he has a somewhat respectable slugging percentage of 401. But over his last 18 games or so, he's been even worse. He's only hitting 194. His on-base percentage is 203, and he's only slugging 343. And as people have really been noticing as of late, his walk rate is essentially insignificant at this point. It's miniature. It's minuscule. It's just not there. So Kurt has the inevitable decline Hunter has staved off for so long finally arrived. I mean, this guy is 39 years old, and he's starting to look like a 39-year-old outfielder who who can't get around on the fastball anymore. Yeah, and we don't even want to talk about what he looks like in the outfield. Exactly. So, yeah, it's uh it's a tough situation, you know. It's it, it because you know he's Tory Hunter. Can mm-hmm. you bench him? That's yeah. that, that's the problem. He's Tory Hunter. Can you bench him? But if he doesn't start to improve when Andy Dirks gets back, you you have to put JD Martinez over there instead of Tory Hunter. Can you mm-hmm. can you bench Tory Hunter for JD Martinez? Because that's that's really hard to do. Yeah. You know? But so I, I think we you know I think Hunter has a little more time to work through it, but. There, there's serious, you know, serious worries on the horizon, and serious tough decisions for that manager we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hook slide yeah. is is a benching or maybe platooning Hunter on the horizon because right now he looks completely lost at the at the plate, and this is not a uh, a week long thing. It's turned into a four or five week long thing, and realistically, the only thing that was propping up his numbers early in the year is that he had that home run binge in the first couple of weeks. Right, and what happened to the home run binge? I thought yeah. he was supposed to like win the title this year. <laughs> no, that's Victor Martinez now, actually. <laughs> no, actually, he, he might. You yeah. never know. But, no, you're, it's, it's that, uh, that 3% walk rate just is not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the things that I've kind of focused on in the last week and looking at the walk rates for the team and for the individual players and saying, you know, with a guy like Hunter, who is in the twilight of his career, I think what you really want to see is a, a guy who develops patience yeah. at the plate, who gets better at you know taking the walk and getting on base more. And what I see is is a guy who is just pressing hard mm-hmm. on defense and on offense. Um, we've talked about the defense part before, and I've said it. I think he's trying to do way too much, and that's why he's you know airmailing the cutoff man and you know that that sort of thing uh, at the plate. He's uh, he's ugly. Yeah, those those swings that he's taking, you know, off the, what, what do they say? Swinging out of your shoes. You know? I was going to bring that up because was that bat, at bat a couple of nights ago where his first two swings he fell down. He was swinging so hard. Right, and he did it again. I think Wednesday night it was like a three pitch strikeout, and the mm-hmm. third pitch was about four inches off the plate. You yep. know, we were joking saying that was a fifty cent pitch right there, yeah. and he swung at it, and. Uh, just very off balance when he's finished with those swings, you know, the, either he falls down or he's hobbling. And I, mm-hmm. I made the comment on Twitter that, you know, I had a little league coach that used to say, if you're dancing after the swing, you mm-hmm. swung wrong. Yeah. And he's just looking like that. And that's, that's discouraging. Cause like I said, I, I expect a veteran to get better more patient, at least yeah. make those pitchers work. I, you know, I'm only going to swing at the, the one or two pitches that I know I can hit the rest of it. I'm going to make you work for it. Mm-hmm. He's just not doing that right now. And, and I don't know if that's a, uh, if I had to speculate and be that fan, you know, I'd say maybe it's his eyesight. You know? <laughs> maybe he's not seeing the pitches and he's not seeing the fly balls, and that explains everything. I don't know. Well, well, what, what's what do you think's the next step if this continues? Because right now, as Kurt mentioned, the only other option is when Andy, hopefully Andy Dirks is healthy. You you play Andy Dirks. Uh, you either put Andy Dirks or JD Martinez over there, and the issue with that as well is that Rajai Davis is regresses to the mean, and his numbers are starting to look very Rajai Davis-like, not like the guy who was tearing up the league for the first six weeks. So is there going to be a time in the next couple months where Torrey Hunter has to sit? Uh, that's that's a really tough call, um, you know, because I think we all know that, that Andy Dirks, for all of his you know offensive problems, mm-hmm. uh, he's a better defender. Yeah. But, Probably the best defensive outfielder have outside of uh, Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson, yeah, because I'm, I'm not 
terribly impressed with what I've seen from Rajay Davis in terms of defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at the game last night at U.S. Cellular, and there was that one routine fly ball that he darn near misjudged it. Yeah, you know, ran in too far and had to kind of quick jump back. Um, you know, seen some of that before. And J.D. Martinez uh, mm-hmm. botched an uh, easy play on on Wednesday. Night, oh yeah, it? yeah, he had a rough game that night. Even Brad Ausmus mentioned that that you know it, it, you have games like that where just nothing goes right. And in the outfield that night for Martinez, nothing went right. Right, there was the, I think one that fell in a, a blooper that he should have caught. That fell in, and there was a line shot right at him that completely yes. helped him. It was right to him, and he still didn't get it. So mm-hmm. I kind of go, okay, well, are, are any of these guys really going to be uh, better necessarily than than Hunter and right? I don't know, but you, you know, I guess even Jim Leland did this a lot last year. You know, where he kind of. Would would rest Hunter frequently, yeah. you know, once twice a week or whatever. So you may be looking at you know more Don Kelly, I guess. But yeah, it's at some point, um, I, I think it's probably wise to platoon that position. Yeah, uh, and I think that's a good point. Maybe he needs to this because he has been playing pretty much every single day, uh, and maybe it is time for Tory Hunter that he needs to sit at least a couple of days a week and spread the love a little bit. And if that means playing Don Kelly out there, well, so be it because he's. You're essentially your fifth outfielder right now, but well, you and, know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna throw something out there for both of you because I don't necessarily see it on the show notes. Yeah. So let's let's just toss this out there because with the trade deadline coming up, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people thought shortstop was going to be the, the spot. You know that that the Tigers were going to focus on, and that remains to be seen. I know Suarez is just new to the spot. You know, but let, let's assume that he works out there. Could, could you guys see right field being the 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 hole that that Dombrowski tries to fill? I could see it being an easier hole to fill than than shortstop for one. And uh, if they if if a left-handed outfield bat came out uh, available, I could see the Tigers jumping all over that. How about you, Kurt? Yeah, I think Al brings up a good point that it might be easier to fill. Mm-hmm. You know, a spot where there there might be more available uh, players and. and because it's a spot the Tigers are struggling, it, it might be cheaper to upgrade, and you'll get more bang for your buck out of it. So I, I, I could see it as a possibility for sure. I mean, it's hard to get a shortstop. It's it's really hard to get a shortstop who doesn't mm-hmm. suck. So. Well, look, yeah, look how hard it was to get a shortstop in spring training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's that's you know we, we can talk about it, but it's not exactly an easy uh, easy scenario to fix. So mm-hmm. so uh, you know I, I I definitely think that you know Hook could be onto something. Yeah, it's uh. It's definitely this is a, a more than anything else. I think uh, this part of the slump that the Tigers have been in, you could point directly at the outfield for the complete lack of production over the past month. Austin Jackson looks to have finally uh, gotten up, gotten out of his slump, but the corn, they, uh, Kurt, they've been getting absolutely no offense at all out of the two corner outfield positions. And as we noted on our last podcast that for a three-week stretch, Andrew Romine had a higher OPS than Austin Jackson and Torrey Hunter. Yeah, that's um, that's a scary thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going to point fingers, I, I start pointing fingers at the outfield hook slide for a lot of the Tigers' problems right now. Well, at least, you know, the corner spots, like yeah, you said. Exactly, but, yeah. uh, um, you know, uh, even Austin Jackson, like we said in the last couple of weeks, he had a ridiculously low batting average, but he mm-hmm. also had a ridiculously low Babbitt. Yeah. And with a contact rate as high as he has, you had to know that that was going to mm-hmm. change. And He's hitting the ball, mm-hmm. and it has, and I think it's going to continue to improve. I still don't think his Babbitt is quite up to, to average yet. Um, you know, so I expect even more to come, you know, with, with Austin Jackson. Not necessarily so with Torrey Hunter. Yeah. Because, you know, like I said, right now, it's clearly not an issue of him hitting the ball and just getting unlucky. He's not hitting the ball. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know about, you know, with Rajay Davis, uh, that that's a tougher thing to measure, I think, because, like you said, he, he was doing really, really well and seems to be regressing a little. But, you know, maybe he starts to rely more on the small ball type stuff, you know, the bunts or whatever, rely more on his legs. To get on base, I don't know. I'm, I'm serious. I just I wish these guys would take walks. <laughs> yeah, I wish they would take more walks. They are the worst um, in the AL, third, third or fourth worst mm-hmm. in walk rate right now. And I think that that's got to change. Yeah, it's uh, and and in regard to Davis, uh, if if a healthy Andy Dirks is playing halfway decent, I think they're getting better production out of. Uh, Roger Davis, because he's being platooned and, and essentially go, uh, 
and essentially uh, going against pitchers who he's known to be successful against. Right now he's playing every day, and he's just not an everyday outfielder just because of his extreme splits. But hopefully that's going to change sometime in the next couple months along with the bullpen and the ninth inning issue. We need to touch on that because I was too lazy to look up the numbers, but they were ridiculous. It was something like uh, over 53 innings the Tigers had given up 46 runs in the ninth inning. This was as of a few days ago. And yeah. I'm really at a loss to explain the, the run differential, guys, other than obviously point my finger at Joe Nath and say it's your fault. But other than that, though, that's that also the job of Chamberlain, he blew up in the ninth inning once, and the Tiger, some of the other Tigers pitchers, specifically I think Phil Koch, I think you blame some of that for what he was really, really struggling. But uh, Hookslide, I'm kind of a loss to explain that, that insane run differential in the ninth inning just because – uh, I think some of that just is uh, bizarre bad luck again. I hate using that word luck again, but some bad luck has definitely fallen into play with those ninth inning numbers. You know, it, it'll make a rational man turn to, to mm-hmm. superstition really yeah. quick. Those, <laughs> those numbers, you know, well, it's cursed. Mm-hmm. The ninth inning just has to be cursed. Uh, with the number of runs they've given up, and I, I ran some numbers, I want to say that it's close to, um, let, let me think how to phrase this, that they give up at least one run. Mm-hmm. One runner more in the ninth inning, almost fifty percent of the time. Yeah, uh, which is not what you want in the ninth inning. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. you, you don't want to be, basically be able to count on you know giving up a run there. And uh, you know, like you said, I think Joe Nathan's had the majority of the of those spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of that lies with him. And I'm still not entirely sure how much of that is luck yeah. on on his part because I think a lot of that you can look at and say he's making bad pitches. Yeah. Well, he's uh, not missing bats, and I think that's the problem. It, right, he, he is not missing bats, and he's giving up walks, and you know all of the, his whip is through the roof. Mm-hmm. How much of that is luck? Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't know if it's enough. <laughs> I don't know if it's enough of that is luck uh, versus again, we're talking about somebody maybe on on a bit of a, an age decline here. Uh, as far as what you think the Tigers, you know, will do for that, mm-hmm. I, I don't see them changing that spot though. Uh, I think I, it was just uh, it's, uh, Chris uh, Ayat. Had, mm-hmm. had just written a piece on this, or in Twitter talk, um, made a good point that, that the Tigers invested in Nathan for two years and a lot of money. Uh, I really, really don't see them pushing him out of that spot until he completely and totally implodes and they're ready to give him an outright release. And I think it's going to take a lot to get them to that point. Yeah, and, and as people tend to forget, Oak Slide, is that there was a stretch where he was solid. He converted like a uh, I don't. I think he had like 12 straight outings where he either converted a save or pitched in a win or something that effect. And he wasn't getting blown up, in other words. Yes, but always with allowing base runners. Yeah, and that's the that's the caveat. That is the caveat. We said the same thing about Jose Valverde. I mean, he yeah. went 49 for 49 in 2011. But if you go back and look, he got was, awfully lucky. Yes, he did. In a lot of those saves, and he put runners on base constantly, and he put tying and winning runs on base, and in scoring position constantly. And you go, I'm sorry, I can't look at the save rate anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, Joe Nathan may have gotten lucky with a good stretch of 10, 12 innings. I'm not sure that's going to continue. Uh, well, Kurt, what's your uh, take on the Joe Nathan problem? We have a Tory Hunter problem. There's obviously a Joe Nathan problem, but uh, I think I tend to lean on the side as well is that the Tigers are going to ride the Nathan horse until he's completely proven he can't do the job, and I don't think we've reached that point yet. Frickin' ex-twins, man. Mm-hmm. This was a slow play, <laughs> exactly. by, the, this yeah. was a slow play by the twins. To, the the to long destroy, con. <laughs> to destroy the Tigers from within. Mm. My, I knew they were, like, one of the smartest organizations in baseball, but this is just mind-numbing that they came up with this plan and pulled it off, and it's working so well. I, I mean, I don't even know what to... Praise be to you, Minnesota. Praise be to you. Uh, but seriously, I'm worried that there's an injury going on that he hasn't told us about. That's, yeah. that's uh, you know, he, he he's coming off Tommy John from a few years ago, and he he sure looked good last year. But and he, I think he genuinely did look pretty good for that stretch. I don't think it was all luck in the middle. That stretch of uh, you know five six weeks of good baseball. I don't think that was luck. Uh, Closers let base runners on. There, there's no one, two, three, every appearance closer. You know, Nathan, I think he was he was doing fine. And then it, he can't get anything out, and he can't throw a strike. And so it's something ain't right. That's my worry, that you went from being okay to something ain't right so quickly that, mm-hmm. that I just worry that it could only be an injury causing it. Well, let me ask you this, Kurt. Uh, who would you think would 
step in for uh, Joe and Nathan if there's an issue to that effect? Is Are you comfortable with Jabba Chamberlain becoming a ninth inning guy? I'm not worried at all. I mean, obviously that Red Sox game was, well, yeah, yeah you know, that was not pretty what he did, but I, I don't think you could look at that and think, oh yeah, he well he blew that save, so he's no good. I think we'd be perfectly fine with with Mr. Chamberlain uh, taking care of things. Yeah, and, and yeah, because I, I, you can't let one bad outing let you ignore the previous six eight weeks where he didn't where he didn't allow a base uh, didn't allow a run. So yeah, it's uh, uh, I'm, I'm it's overall when it comes to the bullpen guys, I'm not really that. Uh, worked up about it, save for Joe Nathan, because I don't know about you, Clyde, uh, as Curtis mentioned earlier, bullpens do this, but I think for the most part, the Tigers' bullpen is average, and it's not god-awful. It needs to be bl- completely blown up. Are you sure about that? I'm sure about <laughs> that, because well, well, look at the when you look at it, I think Al Albuquerque, for the most part, is, is better than serviceable. Jabba Chamberlain has been very, very good. Uh, Ian Kroll, if you look at the numbers, has been solid. Evan Reed has a you know a guy who can throw in the high 90s, and he's been okay. I mean, there's a bunch of guys who are they, they aren't lights out, but for the most part, they haven't been. Uh, you know, there's been stretches, yeah, where it seemed like the bullpen was just awful. But this, as Kurt and I have been doing this for a long time. We always use the term bullpens are mercurial, bullpens are fungible. And you're going to have stretches where the bullpen looks like it's just god awful, and then there's going to be long stretches where the bullpen is fine. And lately, I think the bullpen has been pretty decent, save for Joe Nathan. And you're probably right about that. I mean, the numbers probably bear that out. Like you know, the, mm-hmm. the saying is, that if these guys were were better, they'd be starters. Yeah. You know, so it is by nature when you get into the bullpen, you're getting into the second string pitchers. Mm-hmm. You know, as it is. So I know that that's a factor in this. At the same time, outside of you know Jabba Chamberlain. And, and maybe Al Albuquerque, none of these guys, for me, really inspires a whole lot of confidence. Yeah. You know, when you say, well, Kroll is coming to the mound, it's kind of like, okay. Yeah, I know, and he did have a bad outing the other night. And but and that's the thing, though. We I think we tend to forget, Hook Slide, is that the vast majority of other teams have the same exact issue when it comes to their middle middle and long relief. Say it ain't so. Yeah. I thought all the, other, the mushroom. <laughs> all, the, all the other teams have lights-out closers. I was like, that's what all, I hear, but then I turn on MLB.tv and find something completely different. <laughs> That's right. I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure that all 29 other teams have clones of Koji Uehara in their yeah. bullpens, all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's frustrating, but that's that's life in baseball is that bullpens tend to be very inconsistent. You know, they can be good for long stretches, and then they can be bad for long stretches. And, uh, you know, and right now I think uh, – it look, it, what's making it look that much worse has been the performance of Joe Nathan. And if it's an injury, I hope they can figure it out. If it's mechanical, I hope they can figure it out. If it's a decline, then will God help us all? So, you know, considering well, the no. money and years involved. You said that at the end of the day, what you really, really want is for Joe Nathan to be okay yeah. and be Joe Nathan because yeah. what a huge boost that would be. Yeah, because uh, for years this guy was the lights out closer, as you're saying. He's not not quite Mariano Rivera, but damn close. Right. And last year he was like that for the most part, you know. So, and he's been up there consistently in the top yeah. two or three, you know, relievers, yeah. closers. So I'm looking at that and saying, even if I'm, you know, Dave Dombrowski in that situation, I'm mm-hmm. probably gonna, if I'm gonna gamble at all, I'm gonna gamble on, let's take the chance and see if he can become Joe Nathan again, because yeah. that again, that, that's a huge upside to. Uh, there's more risk, I would almost think, in, in trying to go get somebody new yeah. and hope that they fill that spot. Yeah, and and once again, the the hand or hand thing, it's. The jury's going to be still way, uh, way out on that, just because I don't even think he's occurred. I don't think Hanrahan's even pitching in anger, so to speak. Yet he's still just doing tossing and uh, and building up endurance more than anything else at this point. So I, I think I, right now I think Hanrahan, if the Tigers get anything out of them, it's going to be a complete surprise. Well, I hope for a good surprise then. Yeah. <laughs> there. Oh yeah. Go be curmudgeoning. So, um, <laughs> I'm but, hungry. Yeah. I'm hungry, Al. This is what happens. Yeah, I know. Well, next time, make sure you have a Snickers nearby, all right? So, <laughs> some M&M's. Yeah. Uh, all right. Speaking of, well, where the Tigers stand right now, uh, the AL Central no longer appears to be the punchline of Major League Baseball, as it was over the last year or two. Uh, the Twins have the worst record in the Central, yet they are only two games under 500 and four games back of the Tigers. And all four of the Tigers' rivals 
are right around the 500 mark and no longer look to be easy pickings. Uh, I think that's one uh, one thing, Hookslide, we didn't quite see coming is that the, the rest of the AL Central is kind of sneaking up on the Tigers. Well, right, but is that you know the function of the AL Central being good or the Tigers just being really, really bad? Yeah, I, I'm still not overly concerned. There's the Osmus line <laughs> about uh, you know about what the Central is capable of doing right now. I, I was surprised to see the Indians were making a run at it, and I thought, mm-hmm. okay, that that almost makes sense. And then to yeah. see that the Royals were then I think maybe two games back or something. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is just a, <laughs> this is stupid now. This, there's no logic to this. This is chaos. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It seems like the Indians, the uh, Royals, and the White Sox have all been switching out that second place behind the Tigers as of late. Right. Now, remember, before the season started, I, I did make my staff prediction. I, I predicted the Royals as the uh, the wild card. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to laugh at myself mm-hmm. from, from that time period. But uh, now I'm kind of rooting for them to get that spot, just so I can say, see, I, I knew something that you all didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that's the, the pundit, pundit, the pundit inside you. They said, "Yes, I'm going to be right," but uh, right, at all costs. Yes, I don't care. I've got to be right. Uh, yeah, Kurt, the AL Central, at the very least, uh, it doesn't look like it's the Tigers and four punching bags. It looks like it's the Tigers and some guys who can at least counterpunch. Well, I think nothing really has changed. You know, to be honest with you, I don't think anything has changed. Uh, I, I said all along that I thought, you know, second place would have like 85 wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't see, I don't see that I've, I have to change that prediction. I, yeah. You know, you're going, well, you know, it's the rest of the division sneaking up. They're playing around 500. Sounds to mm-hmm. me that the Tigers are sneaking down, not the other way around. If you're being snuck up on by a team playing 500, you got an issue, you know. Sneaking up on them is is, is somebody playing six hundred ball who maybe shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, playing five hundred people were going to play five hundred, you know that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was always going to be a cluster around eighty one wins, and I still think there's going to be a cluster around eighty one wins. And yeah. the, the AL Central wasn't the worst division. The AL East was disappointing the you know everybody this mm-hmm. year, and and that's still the case. The AL Central is. You know the the middle division, the central of the AL, frankly, because mm-hmm. you know they got some good teams out in the West. So it, it's not a it, the AL sucks all around. That's I'll, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I, I think it's a uh, the vast majority of Major League Baseball is mediocre, and they're all going to hover around 500. And I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, this is something that I, I forgot to put on the. Um, uh, on the outline, guys, but I wanted to bring this up because uh, hook slide. You were in the stands the night David Ortiz uh, blew up and uh, uh, and won the game uh, off of Jabba Chamberlain. Well, what yeah, thank was your, you for that reminder. Yeah, what was your experience like in the in the outfield? Because you hit the home run right right towards your section. Yeah, it was. I was uh, in the section right to the right of us, and maybe ten rows in front. Definitely close enough that you know you could see the ball coming and thinking uh, that might bounce and hit me. So mm-hmm. uh, that was just a hopeless hopeless feeling. You know, to see that ball take off off the bat, and you just know yeah. that that's got way too much arc and trajectory and speed, and there's no way that's going to stay in the park. So <laughs> that was a, that was an awful, horrible experience. That I I really do thank you for re- recalling that to mind. Well, it's, it's, it's well, hell, you wrote a whole post about it, so uh, I did. <laughs> yeah, there's so, so much trauma. <laughs> I know. This is well, why I will never pick another outfield seat ever again. Yeah. Well, how was the crowd that night? Was considering how things have been going with this team. What was your take on the mood of the of the of the casual fan of the of your typical Tigers fan? Honestly, uh, this was probably the best experience. Yeah. In terms of you know, I'm usually surrounded by fans who don't know where they are, mm-hmm. you know, or what team is even playing, or who's on the <laughs> roster. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's typically been the case. And this time, um, yeah, I mean, you hear a couple comments. You know, like mm-hmm. there was a, a, that play where uh, Davis was chasing down a line drive into the uh, corner and didn't get to it. He wasn't going to get to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you get fans screaming about it. You know, come on, he's got to make that play. Well, the, yeah, I know they expect you know the all star play every time, but for the most part. Uh, Pretty pretty good uh, section to sit in. Um, there were a lot of Boston fans, though. Yeah, there were a ton of fans out there with their Red Sox hats and jerseys, and I thought, wow, that's that's weird. I didn't realize we had quite so many here in, in Michigan. But mm-hmm. that that may have have sort of uh, influenced the experience of you know it was kind of a fifty fifty crowd out there. So <laughs> maybe all the crazy fans were were uh, clustered around home plate or something. Yeah. 
Well, it's, uh, it's if, if, at least an overall. Save for that, let, that ninth inning. Sounds like you had a great time. <laughs> yeah, it, but the funny thing is, it's like I said, I took my son to U.S. Cellular last night yeah. for, the, for the game, and uh, a ton of Tiger fans mm-hmm. there. I mean, for the last out that Scherzer got that last uh, strikeout, yeah. it felt like half the crowd was on its feet cheering. Mm-hmm. Half of you Michigan know. has moved to Chicago by now. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's, I mean, there's obviously a geographic. That's the unfortunate part is that, yeah, there's a lot of Tiger fans because everyone left Michigan for Chicago. Right. Mm. So the the odd experience in that was that I felt like I was surrounded by Tiger fans who were, uh, you know, uh, a little bit easier to deal with yeah. than the ones that you run into at the, you know, Comerica. So go, well, go figure. Well, what's your take of the cell? Because that's essentially uh, the last stadium that was built before, uh, uh, before the retro look went into effect with Candom Yards, because I think that was built right before Candom Yards went live, and Candom Yards kind of changed the uh, how, how how people think stadiums need to be built for baseball. And uh, so, in a lot of ways, the cell is kind of like—is it kind of like the last cookie cutter? Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I actually, not having been there, um, mm-hmm. I now kind of prefer it to Comerica. Really. Believe it or not, just just in some uh, aspects. Like, I know, right? Here's one thing that I noticed at Comerica: the the sections tend to run, I don't know, twenty seats long. Mm-hmm. So if somebody in the middle has to get up and go, yeah. you know, it, you have to go through, you know, a ton of people. The sections at uh, the cell, at least where I was, they're only about ten seats. Mm-hmm. So it's Speaking much much having easier. To go, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, Kurt. This has been a long podcast. Uh, we're not even in an hour yet. Hold that's your horse. Right. So I'm going <laughs> something else. That's the issue. Uh-huh. It's a much easier stadium to navigate, and the uh, parking prices right by the stadium, eminently mm-hmm. reasonable. The concessions were very reasonable. So yeah, I would I would definitely go back there. I wish Comerica would take a, a cue from that. And what kind of crowd was there last night? It didn't look like there was a lot of people in the stands. Twenty thousand, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, being generous at best. So. Yeah. But, but still, I'm glad you had a good time. And actually, you picked a hell of a game to go to because uh, uh, when uh, I mean, it, realistically, uh, it was a, a, a Max Scherzer. That may be the best, probably the best game he pitched all year, and he looked absolutely lights out. So yes, yeah, very, you know, and, and Chris Sale was, is no uh, chopped liver, li- uh, chopped liver either. So and he was no, pretty darn solid too. So couldn't have asked for a better game. It was a pitcher's duel that the mm-hmm. Tigers ended up winning anyway. Yeah. So what do you? What more do you want? Best of all worlds, exactly. All right. Uh, since Kurtz is squirming in his seat right now, we need to start wrapping up the podcast. Squirming, so. yes, I'm definitely squirming. Yeah. So uh, uh, anything you like to add, Kurt, before we wrap things up? Other than uh, I have to go to the bathroom. No, that's basically it. Looks <laughs> like anything else you'd like to mention. I'd like to read something from War and Peace, if I could. Uh, it's only about six chapters long. Um, Great, no, you it, do it, that. I'll be right back. <laughs> in deference to Kurt and his bladder issues, I will uh, I will refrain. All right. And uh, also I'm going to say, uh, I just need to add this, kind of throw this out there, is that, yeah, uh, I'm going to be stepping back from recaps a little bit. I'm going to be splitting duties with Catherine just because I was getting absolutely and completely burned out covering every game. So uh, and so, be on the lookout for some changes in how we do the recaps. Probably going to be shorter, a little more to the point, and much easier on my psyche. So uh, just kind of keep a watch out for that. So and you'll see uh, more. Uh, Catherine and I are kind of working together to see what kind of format works best for the recaps. So just you know, keep an eye out. And but the the end of the two to three thousand word recaps is, has come. So it's uh, they're going to be much much shorter, probably a thousand words or less. So just keep an eye on for that. All right, let's wrap up the show so Kurt go to the bathroom. So, uh, Hookslide, where can the, the listeners find you online? On Twitter, uh, at HookslideBYB. And if you must send longer messages, I'm actually on Gmail, HookslideBYB at gmail.com. How about you, Mr. Minchin? I have a feeling Kurt went to the bathroom. I think I think we lost him. Yeah, no. That's he... great. I did go to the bathroom. I thought somebody was going to read Warren Keith, man. <laughs> All right. Where can the listeners find you online, uh, uh, Mr. Mention? You can find me in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> tweet tweet at Kurt in the bathroom. I think it's it's at Kurt in bathroom. So. Well, you know, if you look at my Twitter <laughs> feed from yesterday, it was full of poop. Yeah. Oh. Actually, I'm always full of shit. So. I think this is a good start. So really, start wrapping things up. As I always, a joke. I made yeah. a joke. Uh huh. 
<laughs> yeah, we, we we don't go blue or fecal on this podcast. So, well, excuse <laughs> me. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at BigLBYB, and you can and find pretty much all three of us Michigan, one time or another on the at Bless You Boys account, along with Rob and Melissa, depending on the night and what's going on. All right, with that, let's wrap it up. So, until this time next week, this is Al Beaton saying good afternoon and good luck. Along the hook slide. Let's go, Tigers. Please. <laughs> and Kurt mentioned. Feed me! Michigan. And we'll, and we'll definitely Trumbo, feed Kurt some Snickers Michigan, on the next Bless You Boys Trumbo, podcast. There's never been I really hope we get sponsored by Snickers after this. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get him out of the old ballpark. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella.